Good morning and welcome to O Readers Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, January 8th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 8, the first paragraph. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair. Today's readers are Michelle, Kimmy D, Susan C, Penny C. The reference number for Tuesday, January 7th is 5732. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Jason to read the 12 steps. Hello, this is Jason, compulsive overeater from Vermont. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Step 1. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step 2. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step 3. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Step 4. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step 5. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step 6. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step 7. Humbly asked Him to remove our shortcomings. Step 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Jason. I will now ask Lauren to read the 12 traditions. Hi, Lauren S., recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. Eleven God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be anonymous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. 
aside, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Lauren. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the direction for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirements for moderator is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 8, paragraphs starting with, No words can tell of the loneliness and despair. I will now ask Michelle H., to begin reading. Good morning, Julia. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Michelle H., Recovered Compulsive Reader in Missouri. So good to be here today. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And, um, you know, Bill is painting such a um, a vivid picture here for me. Uh, no, no words could tell of um, how do you describe that loneliness and despair um, when I'm in that bitter morass. And, and I looked up morass, um, and it says it's something that traps, confuses, or impedes. It says like a swamp or a bog. This is from the Big Book Dictionary. And, um, yeah, I was trapped in that self-pity and trapped in that loneliness and despair. And then he goes on to use the word quicksand. And I looked that up as well. And it says, a situation into which entry can be quick, but removal can be difficult or impossible. Those are from the Big Book Dictionary. And I was thinking, you know, this brings me back to remembering when when I was right there, when I was feeling where I had had said that, you know, I had met my match, that I had actually been overwhelmed by this disease of compulsive overeating, that, you know, my my alcoholic foods um, were my master. 
and and being overwhelmed and being in a situation that's near impossible or I see impossible to be removed from is is a, a place of defeat where I am out of ideas. You know, I, I was a lot like Bill, and I was looking for so many answers. And just on the previous page, Bill thought that, you know, he had found the, the answer self-knowledge. And, and, you know, I had relied on self and self-knowledge and self-will for many, many years until I got to that place of quicksand where I felt that it was impossible to be removed. Um, and it seemed hopeless. It seems hopeless, and, you know, I'm told that this is a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and that's what had me trapped, you know, my sick mind and my sick body. Um, But that's where I needed to be. I needed to be in the quicksand because the only escape is to be still, is to be still and to be willing to listen to what other recovered people had to say when, indeed, they were had that same feeling of being in the quicksand and being overwhelmed and admitting that they had been defeated and that, you know, their alcoholic foods had indeed become their master. And, you know, I learned that I, I can't serve two masters. I can only serve one master, and, and which is it to be? And um, it was in this stillness when I had to give up, you know, that vision of being in the quicksand. And I've never been in quicksand, but I've I've seen you know, pictures on TV of people who are simulating that experience, and it seems the more they struggle, the deeper, the deeper they go, they sink into it. And you know, the beginning of my disease as it progressed, maybe I was only up to quicksand to my ankles, and I still had the chance to, you know, be free of being able to struggle and and flail around. But then, you know, I I would continue with my own ideas, and then soon I was up to my knees in quicksand. And eventually, as the disease progressed, I was deeper and deeper, and it seemed impossible to be removed. Um, but thank you, God, that um, you know people who had been in the quicksand and had found a way out were there to carry the message. And it was only in the stillness and, and the stopping of my struggle that I was able to listen and to hear. And so I'm um, grateful um, for that day when I felt overwhelmed and was, was willing to give up. Although I didn't know that looking back, I'd be grateful on that day because at the time it felt like a bitter morass of loneliness, despair, and self-pity. But so grateful for those who carried the light to show me that it's not impossible to be removed um, if I rely on a power greater than myself. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Would anyone like to share on that paragraph? Lauren from Pittsburgh. Okay. I think it was Tennessee, and then Lauren. somebody from Pitt. Lauren S. Lauren. Lauren S. Yes. Okay, so Penny. Maybe not. Okay, go ahead, Lauren. I think it was Judy B. Oh, Judy B. Okay, Judy B. Uh, good morning. This is Judy B. from Massachusetts, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. This paragraph is just, it just completely describes what it was like when I was in the food. And it's so good to remember that. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. I just remember that I could not get out of that quicksand. I could not get out of that space. And food was my master. 
that went on for years and years and years. Food was my master. And and now that I've been in recovery, it I, I don't remember it as much, but it's so good to to think back of where I used to be because it just shows me that there is hope. There is hope for people that feel that way now. I mean, it was it was years and years and years of of being in such a mess and feeling overwhelmed all the time and <clears throat> finding finding this program just changed everything for me you know um you know i still have times when i become overwhelmed but it is nothing 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 like it was before because now when i'm overwhelmed i know what to do i know where to turn and I can't turn to food because that makes a bigger mess. I turn to my higher power, and he guides me. He guides me through it. And um, I'm just. Uh, I just want to share today that uh, anybody that is in that, in that quicksand, and and you know you're sinking. There is a solution, and the solution is in finding our higher power and in connecting to Him and in trusting Him. And uh, we get lots of help in doing that at this meeting and talking with other people in the program. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy B. And Lauren? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you. Great. Lauren S., a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, I am geeking out. I love this paragraph dearly dearly um i have dog-eared step one this is a great paragraph in my opinion that i like to read to sponsees because this is what i felt when i surrendered and then i threw myself into the steps because i was in a bitter swamp of self-pity and again, it says alcohol, and in my case, food was my master. And I looked up the definition of master, and it was it was one that has control over another or others. And we learned that we do not have the power of choice, and we have no control. And we'll find that, and there's a solution. It'll say we have lost our legs. We have lost control. We have to erase that we will ever have control like other people. But before we get to those pages, we did read already that we have no control. On page XXX, it says, These men and women were not drinking to escape they were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. So the big book tells us we have no control. Um, finally, I have written in my book, was was I as ill that I wanted to stop eating, but I couldn't. So again, yes, I could not stop picking up the food I just had no control. Okay, I'll pass. 
Thank you, Lauren. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Janice from Massachusetts. Okay, Janice, go ahead. Well, thank you. My name is Janice, um, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. This is the paragraph that I had to, the words in here that I had to get to after exhausting all kinds of methods. This is a good place to be for any newcomer, and, you know, hopefully, because I sat in the rooms and said, oh, no, this isn't the last house on the street. I still have some more research to do. I'm a little unique. You know, I'll find a way. But this, you know, five years ago in January, I came to a, um, a phone, you know, phone bridge line, and I surrendered because there was nothing else for me to do. I exhausted everything. And I was lonely, and I was desperate. And, you know, this is a, um, a perplexed situation to be in. You, don't, you can't eat, you can't not eat. I mean, it, it's just perplexed. It's the end. You know, you have no other place to go. And, you know, I could, I could continue to get diet pills and scripts from my husband, who's a doctor. That didn't even work because when I wanted to eat, I didn't want to take the pill. So, you see, there's nothing left for me. There was nothing left for me. And, again, I was no match for my binge foods. It, it was ruling me. It was a tyrant. You know, it had, like it was said, all control over me. Imagine a box of donuts having control over me, an inanimate object. That's how insane it was. And So Bill here is, is taking step one. There's no steps yet, but he's actually concluding. He's, t- he's, he's concluded this is it. You know, alcohol ruled him. I don't know what to do next. And that's where it's a very good place to be. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to share? This is Bella. Can I share? And Bella, and I heard someone else after Bella. This is Larry. Okay. Okay, Bella, and then Larry. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Julie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. No words can tell. Thank you, God, that I am in the program and I learn one thing, a few things, but one of the things that I learn that um, I don't have control. I I do have one control, and my control is to do the best choice one day at a time. I am responsible to my life, and that's it. And... I love this paragraph because the, here I see very clear how can I do the best choice one day at a time. I can read this paragraph and say, oh, no, this is where I am. This is where I was. And that's it. I self-pity. My alcoholic food is my master. And that's it. This is the end of my life, I, do, I can do nothing about it. And I can look at this at a different point of view, at a point of hope. Yes, there is a hope. And this brings me the awareness. Yes, you feel now lonely and alone and very self-pity. There is a solution. Yes, I don't have control. And I want to find 
Who has the, the control? Yes, and thank God I found, yes, God has the control. And by being connected to God, I don't have to stay there anymore. I don't have to stay in a miserable place to be self-pity and, and, and self-centered. No more. I am responsible on my life, and I can make the best choice one day at a time. And the program teach me, yes, the best choice for me to be connected to God because He is the only one can help me and He can be, He is the only one that can show me where, where is the right way to go, what is the path that I should walk. And only by being aware that, yes, I don't want to be there anymore. I am choosing to be connected to God and I am willing, I am willing to open myself to be connected to God and to listen to God whisper to me and to go out from this miserable state. And yes, I am choosing to look at this paragraph as a, as a hope, yes, that this miserable situation can bring me to like a ladder to jump out and to see the hope and to see the solution, because there is a solution. Thank you very much for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Larry? Good morning. Uh, this is Larry, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Uh, thanks so much for your service. Um, you know, Bill's he's in a predicament here. There's no doubt. Um, this paragraph's pretty clear. And... Uh, it's a, I don't know about you, but for me, it was kind of a strange thing to admit, you know, like it says in the AA 12 and 12, who cares to admit complete defeat? I don't know about you, but I, I didn't feel really comfortable admitting that. Um, it's, you know, my ego, ego was too strong, too powerful to really come in for me. Maybe some people get it right away. And uh, they, you know, I hear things like the last house on the block. We have a way of saying, you know, do we want to take the, you know, the, the dump truck all the way to the to the dump or do we want to get up and get up anytime we want? You know, and those were all good things in my, in my uh, progression to understand has builded finally that I was powerless. But it's a great paradox because after all, we are doing things in our life, aren't we? Seemingly, we're doing those. You know, is, is God doing those for us? I don't know. These were things that I wrestled with. But who cares to admit complete defeat? It says in the AA 12 and 12, practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful, awful to admit that glass in hand we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence can remove it from us. See, I think what I looked at is the one thing that I saw in people that, that were recovered, that said they were recovered, but words are cheap. Question was, if you followed them around, which none of us can follow each other around, you know, are they walking the walk? But what I came to learn is, is in, in, in observing people, that they were different. They were, their, their roots were, you know, it says, you know, they were firmly implanted, you know, in a, a new soil. There was something different about them. And what was it? It was that they had admitted to themselves 
that they were completely powerless over this over this situation, over this food. And for most of the people that I know in recovery, they would tell you, truth be told, that they're powerless over just about everything. That God or their higher power, that they've had a personality, a complete personality change that has put them in a position to see the world differently. They see the world differently now. I know I do. And so now food, it's, it's such a strange thing. The weight and all, those, the, all the physical aspects of recovery are the least of, the least of it for me. It was, it, was the, you know, it was of paramount importance in the beginning. But today I've, I've been changed, and, and that's where Bill was. So it's, it's darkest before the dawn. Boy, must it, have, it must have been you know, completely dark for Bill in that moment when he's you know, sinking in the quicksand. He's drowning. Can you imagine drowning? You know, um, I, I, I couldn't even imagine, you know. Um, but, uh, but, but then from there, we slowly are, are, are lifted up. And, uh, and it, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Don't, you know, don't miss the miracle. That's what I was told. And, and that's what happened to me. And I still don't understand why, but it has. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. I'm, my name is Julie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I just want to jump in real quick. And you know, there's so much in this small paragraph. But when it talks about the quicksand, quicksand stretched all around me in all directions, you know, it's not just about the food. I mean, it was everything in my life was um, not working. Relationships, um, money, uh, it didn't matter what it was, but I was dying. I was being sucked under. And it's, it's, a, it's a horrible place to be. But I know I needed to be there or I would have never been able to admit that I was powerless. And um, again, I would never want to go back there. But I can look back now and know that that is what brought me to surrender. Uh, you know, alcohol, food was my master. So I think we're going to move on to the next paragraph. Um, and... Our next reader is Kimmy D. Yes, hi, thank you. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of the first drink, and on that Armistice Day, 1934, I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it was before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debacle. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. And I think the uh, thing I'd like to share about that paragraph is <clears throat> this is really, you know, a turning point for Bill. You know, it talks about this in uh, right before we get to the uh, steps. You know that half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point, and this is this is Bill's turning point. This is where, you know, he is starting to see the darkness 
and has recognized that you know, a dawn is upon him. Probably he didn't realize that because he thought that he was, you know, just going to stumble into oblivion. But um, what I love about this paragraph is that you know the book has promises in every step, and this is one of Bill's promises, which is that he was to know a happiness and a peace, usefulness, and a way of life that is incredibly more, more wonderful as time passes, and that is a, you know a promise that can be realized for all of us as we work the steps day to day is that the peace and serenity and usefulness grows it doesn't stay stagnant it's not as though it's just given to us it continues to unfold tenfold as we work this program and the beauty of it is that you know each morning we get the ability to recommit that and each morning we get a new dawn and a new opportunity to uh you know, to to look at where we are in our recovery and to to live in the fourth dimension of existence. And I love the fourth dimension of existence because it's something that uh, is hard to explain, but once you've actually experienced it, it's uh, something that can be addictive in nature as well. You want more and more of it, and you want to do take the actions that you know um, that lead you to that uh, dimension of existence. And uh, quite a wonderful place to be. And we're about to see, you know, how Bill got there. And uh, just this paragraph is beautiful because it really is sort of like that again, that turning point where we sort of say, okay, great, Bill is finally going to come out of this. It's so pain- it was so painful in the first eight pages to watch the the emotional and physical and spiritual roller coaster that he was on. And we are about to uh, embark on on his journey of recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Kimmy. And would anyone like to share in this paragraph? Kim? Katie? F. All right, we have Kim and then KDF. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. You know, in that prior paragraph, everybody loved it. It really is an incredible description of what we call step one. But I love that this this first couple lines in this first next paragraph. It says, "Fear sobered him for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of this first drink." So as painful as that paragraph was, Bill picked up again. And we hear so much talk in the rooms about hitting bottom. I have to hit bottom. I mean, I can't even tell you how many of my binges were this purposeful idea of, well, I guess I need to hit bottom, so I'm going to keep binging until I hit bottom. You know, bottom is not a physical place. Bottom is a spiritual place where you can no longer go anywhere but what, is, what does that mean if you don't have a solution? You can hit bottom over and over again. If you don't have a solution, what are you going to do? Bill is at the point where, yes, alcohol is his master. Fear sobered him for this bit. He's afraid he's going to die. But he has nowhere to go. So the next four pages is going to tell us how he's introduced to that solution. So those of us in the rooms who hit bottom over and over again, what is our solution? Our solution is the steps. Now, what I did for quite a few years is I thought fear would keep me sober. I thought the fellowship would keep me sober. If fear and the fellowship is keeping you sober, that's just luck. That's absolutely just luck because the insidious insanity of that first drink will pull you back 
over and over and over. A saying that you hear in AA is, remember your last drunk. Think the drink through. I personally, as beautiful as the shares on this line are, I have never, you know, when I was in my disease, been at the point where I need to want to binge and thought, you know what? Sally Sue in the meeting last week told this horrible war story, so I don't think I'm going to binge right now. That's not going to keep us sober. You know, if simply remembering the quicksand, if simply remembering the bitter morass of self-pity was enough, then I wouldn't need the steps. I need a transformation of thought because my mind will not remember the quicksand with sufficient force in order for me to stop. If simply going into a meeting and talking about the misery of being in the food was enough to produce recovery, let me tell you, I would have recovered years before I came in OA. Because how many times did I go with my binge buddies to an all-you-eat buffet and binge my brains out as we all talked about the misery of being in the food, as we all talked about the fact that we can't have one as we were binging and talking to each other. So as beautiful as that description of, of that prior paragraph is, what I always zone in on is fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of the first drink. If you are as seriously alcoholic as I am, you are going to come down to two alternatives. One is to blot out the consciousness of the intolerable situation, and the other is to is to seek spiritual help. Now, that intolerable situation is being abstinent. That intolerable situation is restless, irritable, and discontent. And what will happen is I will either have to blot out my consciousness and pick up the food or go for spiritual help. And thank you, God, today, because of this first 100, a solution has been crafted in such a masterful way that I can walk through the steps and experience the joy of no longer wanting the binge food. That insidious insanity of the first drink has been quieted, been quieted by walking through these steps and establishing a relationship with a higher power. So I think that's essential. As beautiful as the prior paragraph is, remember, without a solution, it was not enough just to hit rock bottom. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Katie S. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, I just wanted to focus on how dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. And when I was catapulted into that fourth uh, dimension of existence um, on October 7, 1987, I didn't know that that was what was happening to me. Um, I knew that I had been, you know, like this prior paragraph. Um, I felt very sorry for myself. I felt very hopeless. I had been binging for almost a year um, straight. And, you know, after being in OA for five years, um, So I really thought that there was no hope for me, even in the rooms. I had lost all hope. And, of course, that is a terrible place to be, you know, to have no hope. Um, But then when I did uh, 
have the willingness. I believe it was a gift that was given to me to be willing to do the next thing that I was told. Then I was suddenly able to do uh, what I'd never been able to do before, and that was to follow directions and put the food down and take each step. Um, you know, God carried me through those first few uh, weeks of abstinence, and I um, got into a rhythm of, of uh, not picking up the food. And I worked in a restaurant where I was preparing food all day long. I was around food, and I did not have to pick it up. Um, I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. You know, it wasn't just the, the nine months where I lost 70 pounds and people, you know, were shocked for two years when I was still seeing people I'd never seen in the, uh, since I'd lost the weight. You know, that was a lot of fun. But my life continues to be far better than my best day in disease. And, you know, that is something that you can't buy. It's something that you can't fabricate on your own. It doesn't matter if I'm rich or poor, sad or happy, my life is better as a result of working this program. You know, and I didn't think when I got abstinent, when I was 27 years old, that I was going to be, you know, talking on a phone line every morning and that was going to bring me joy. But it does. Because I want everybody to have this joy. I don't want it just for myself. I want everybody I meet to have freedom from the obsession, from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. But I can't do it for them. I can't do it for anybody. But I can tell you that there is a God who can do it for you and that, you know, just uh, picking up this uh, program will bring you the relief you're seeking. But if you're stuck back where he was in these previous paragraphs in self-pity, um, you, you'll never get out of it because you have to get out of yourself. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to share? Helena and Leia. Helena and... There was somebody between Helena and Haba. Leia. Leia, okay. Uh, Helen? Sharon. Okay, well, Helen, Leia, Haba, and Sharon, so... Go ahead, Helen. Good morning. This is Helena. Um, feeling very sobered emotionally listening to this, this wonderful description of hitting bottom and feeling sobered emotionally because I am realizing that just because someone hits bottom does not mean that they will turn to the solution found in the steps. I'm looking at the very end of this chapter where Bill W. talks about one poor chap who committed suicide in my home. It says he could not or would not see our way of life. And I'm also looking back to page six in, again where Bill talks about the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. So mine endured this agony for two more years. And he is describing those two years of hell. And I am remembering and identifying those two years of hell and knowing that um, I was rescued by the steps, by people reaching out to me, by having a physical an understanding of the physicality of this disease. And this is not make-believe. This is not fun and games. 
um, we crawl into this program because we are dying and we know we are dying and we need to have a solution for those who are dying. Um, I've heard some, you know, I heard it said, I think early in the line, and I didn't quite understand it, that I can take responsibility for myself. The only responsibility I can take for myself if I am truly a compulsive overeater in my disease is to know that I have this disease and that I will die. And thank God that there is a solution. Pass. Thank you, Helena. And Leah? Thank you so much, Julie, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, reading these paragraphs definitely, you know, gives me an opportunity to revisit uh, my history <laughs> with this. Uh, how dark it is before the dawn in reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. But obviously, uh, there's a great point of pain here. I mean, step one is not a feel-good step. I mean, the whole purpose of it is to empty out any residual notion that I actually had any power within me to help or heal myself. Um, I came here destroyed. Uh, Compulsive overeating, much like Bill is experiencing here, um, had done its job. It had beat me into a state of reasonableness, into a state of humility, into a state of being rendered teachable. Um, You know, it says quicksand stretched around me in all directions. One thing I learned about quicksand is if you're in it, uh, the only way to be delivered from that situation is to be rescued from it. You know, because any move I made personally only uh, sucked me deeper into its grip. There was no depth to which I could not sink, uh, no wretchedness that I was not uh, prepared to uh, try out here. You know, I had to experience my powerlessness so that it became, became the launching pad of desperation to seek and find a power outside of myself. And I remember that moment. I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, I I remember that. I remember being in my bedroom that morning. I I remember the tears. I remember being totally laid out on the floor. Um, you know, and and in that in those moments, you know, I saw a hopeless, helpless, obese, dis- disfigured young woman. Um, you know who essentially had no deep, meaningful relationships in her family, no deep, uh, nurturing friendships left, uh, basically no marriage left. Uh, and And I said the most important words. I said, God, help me, save me. You know, I, I sat there, I laid there, and without understanding what I was doing, I gave up. I stopped fighting whatever I had been fighting. It wasn't sophisticated. I just gave up. You know, I, I had nothing left. And, and, and most of all, I had no hope. I had no hope. You know, but there were those who who took me aside eventually and said, uh, you know, that they would walk alongside me. But I alone had to make a decision within myself. You know, God came in through the wound. This was not uh, an intellectual decision at this point. This was, um, you know, experiencing God when resistance stopped. 
You know, and my book teaches me here that uh, unless I humble myself by taking step one, I don't need the rest of the program because if I think I have the power over this disease, then I don't need to believe in a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. But, of course, there is a message of hope here. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes, and I, and I am happy to announce on this line that as a result of coming to Overeaters Anonymous and being handed a big book um, by someone who had recovered and under his guidance, because he knew what he was talking about and performing these requirements that are uh, clearly outlined that we study every day in this book, I am very happy to declare that I have not picked up that first uh, insidious bite since January 19th, 1987, and that is a miracle. That is a miracle. That is not of me. That is what happens when you're completely beaten to a pulp and God makes something of that human failure. You know, I, I, <laughs> that same man taught me that there are only two disciplines, Leah, and learn it now. There is the discipline of your addiction or there is the discipline of God. Choose one. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah. Hi, this is Sheila Mass here. Uh, Hannah is next, and then Sharon. Sheila. Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm Hannah. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Colorado. Um, thank you for your service. Thanks for being here in spite of weather. Um, what I, I always think that you know, Bill's story. Bill starts his story with war fever ran high, and now he's coming to what he doesn't know will be the end of his drinking on Armistice Day, um, which which marked the end, the armistice that ended World War One. Um, what what always gives me such hope here is that. He doesn't know there's a solution at this point. And that's what tells me that I don't even have to know there's a solution. I just have to be willing to be open to one. And and as it happens, um, I know there's a solution today because I know there are 12-step programs today. Bill didn't have a 12-step program to go to. Uh, and it, it, it really, you know, it's uncomfortable. If this were a novel, this would be a very dramatic point. And the hero, you know, we would think, oh, my God, he's just going to die. There's no hope. Um, so he, he kind of lets us off the hook emotionally by saying right away, but he was to soon find a solution. My own experience is that it's, it's important for me to acknowledge that point of hopelessness for myself because that's the point when I stop trying to figure out how to get better and I become willing to take on faith what I hear other people saying 
work for them. And that's the point when I'm willing to say, you know, and, and I did this. I, I remember it was my first food plan. I said consciously, okay, you know, God, whatever you are, I'm sure this isn't going to work for me. I'm sure. I'm going to do it anyway. And, you know, not surprisingly, it worked for me. And, and I can only... Um, I'm just, I'm really grateful that the way the spiritual program works is that my emotions are part of it, and the God of my understanding is where I am emotionally. So even though I feel completely alone, without a solution, the God of my understanding is there, and there is a solution, even in that place. Pass. Thank you, Harma. And Sharon? It was Sheila. Oh, I had a Sharon before Sheila, but go ahead. Thank you. Um. Um, Julie, this is Sharon. Is it okay? Yes, Sharon, and then Sheila. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, thank you, Julie, for your service, and uh, welcome to everyone out on the line. Uh, there's just been so many good things shared, and all I um, can share uh, is that I had to come to that point where I realized I have no power, and then I had to come to the point that I never did have any power and only God has the power. And that power is given to me through the process of being willing to lay down uh, the food and then to work these steps uh, to see all the baggage that I was carrying around in my life um, that kept me in that restless, irritable, and discontent state of mind which just fueled this addiction over and over and over again. And so I am so uh, grateful to see as uh, painful as these paragraphs are and painful to see how uh, Bill went through what he went through. Um, and, you know, it's the same. My story, is, it's the same too. But um, the bottom line is there is a solution and it is a spiritual solution and it is so clearly laid out in this book. And that's what we must follow. We must do it on a daily basis. And um, that is the difference that I see in my life today. I believe to the core of my being that um, I have no power. And um, only by doing my part, which is following these steps to the best of my ability every single day, is what will give me the freedom to stay abstinent and to stay stopped one day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Sharon. Go ahead, Sheila. Sheila? Hi, thank you. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you. Thank you for your service to this morning. Thank everyone on the line. It's an awesome meeting. Wanted to check in because there was so much um, emotion that came over me remembering um, my last horrific binge and remembering that feeling of total hopelessness 
and thinking that I would never, ever be able to stop what I was doing. Um, such a reality check for me. And, you know, the, the biggest gift I gave myself is being able to surrender to a power greater than myself. Because until then, I kept trying to find a better, different, some way, some way that I can still do what I was doing and believe that I can lick this and there's just no other solution other than surrendering to a power greater than myself, especially for me. Um, I have a documentary of Bill W. and the founders of AA that I pull out and I pull in when sometimes when I get restless and irritable and just watching the pictures and hearing Bill's voice and and the tremendous amount of care they took and putting this together that we're still benefiting all these years later. Um, and they didn't, like someone shared earlier, they didn't have 12 steps. They didn't really know what they were doing, but they were fighting for their lives. And um, for that, I'm grateful, just so grateful for the shifting and so grateful that I got through the holidays and the loss of a relative, clear-headed and sober, that I didn't have to deal with any of it through a fog or something. And, and for that, I'm grateful. Thank you for allowing me to share, and um, thank you again for your service. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sheila. We have time for another share. This is Paula. May I share? Yes, Paula, go ahead. And thank you, Julie, and thank you for your service. Well, time permitted, so here I am, Paula, recovered compulsive overeater. You know, we only have words. That's all Bill had was words, but that's all he had here, and that's what he used, and he used them well. He told of a transformation from step one, and look at where he comes to at the end. You know, this was his dearest enemy. Alcohol was his dearest enemy. As was so clearly stated, he knew now he couldn't live with it, and he couldn't live without it. What a horrible friend this was. A friend he would go to, and the ending was always the same, a horrible friend. But look at what happens here we see so clearly where he was. What a place to be. But wait, we've been there. Maybe the words that I used weren't exactly the same, but the feeling was just the same. There was no way out. And then, as always, you notice he uses that physical realm, trembling. So now he's still in the physical stages. And then I just want to go to this part. I was soon to be catapulted catapulted. Wow, that's a huge word, not gently placed. No, into what I like to call the fourth dimension. He moved out of, into existence, where he was existing and where he exists now. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes you would never think this was two paragraphs, and yet that it was. And there was a man's life coming to the place of transformation where we all must come. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Penny. And um, one more time, we have uh, one more person. Would anyone else like to share? Start one to unmute. Okay, um, I'll, I'll share for a second. 
I'm Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, that sentence, fear, sobered me up for a bit. Um, even when I came back to program last a year ago, November, it was fear, um, fear of dying, fear of, uh, you know, getting to 300, fear of losing my husband again. Um, and I got abstinent, started working the program, but it was still from myself. And I knew, I knew I needed more. And, um, you know, it's a spiritual bottom, like like somebody had said earlier. And when I came to know my God, who my almighty creator was, my great spirit, that's when I got to see what that catapult was. And I never, ever had that experience in my life. So for all the people that are on the line for the first time, you know, there is a solution. Um, and it's amazing. So I will close. Um, it's time to close our meeting. Thank you for everyone who shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Susan, will you please read a vision for you? Yes, good morning. Thanks so much for your service, Julie. Susan C. in New York, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.